Welcome to Market Scale Retail. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the pleasure of having a conversation with the president and founder of Sageberry, Steve Dennis. Steve, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's really a pleasure to get to, to have a few minutes to talk to you. Do me a favor. Tell me the elevator pitch version of how you sort of wound up at this point, at this time in the retail industry. Well, I'm not sure I can give you a really linear pathway, but I I spent about 25 years in senior roles at various retailers, first at Sears, and then uh, joined the Neiman Marcus Group as the head of strategy and marketing. And then um, I decided to get out of the major corporate life and go off on my own to do some consulting. And over time, that's evolved into not only doing retail strategy and innovation consulting, but speaking and writing on those topics. And some of that's just kind of evolved organically over the last couple of years. I want to talk specifically about a blog post that you put out about physical retail not being dead, but boring retail is. Everything that we hear in the news is, oh, brick and mortar stores are going the way of the dinosaur and Amazon's taking over the world. That might not exactly be true, is it? No, it's not. I think uh, there's no question that physical retail or retail in general has changed a lot. And um, there's no question that an awful lot of stores have closed and many more will follow. But to just sort of step back and broadly say that physical retail is dead just is really, uh, it just defies the facts. Um, Most notably that um, there are plenty of stores also opening which tends to get lost in that retail apocalypse narrative Uh, and physical retail continues to grow. Um, It's just that e-commerce is growing much more quickly and some of the effects of digital disruption are um, hitting different sectors of retail very differently. So I think it's just not helpful to create this idea that all physical retail is going away, you really have to dig down into the particular sectors and and there you'll see a really different result. Uh, What is happening is, uh, as a broader statement, is that the middle is collapsing. And by that, I mean that retailers that have not really figured out a way to be remarkable, either because they have an incredibly strong value proposition or because they have a very strong experiential dimension, um, those retailers are really, really getting hammered. So folks like JCPenney and Sears, et cetera, that, that's largely where the problem is in physical retail. Now, when we talk about the fact that online shopping or online purchasing is growing so quickly, we also have to remember that that is in comparison to previous levels of online shopping. Right. And when we say that retail stores are fading, it's they are changing the processes that are keeping them open. So I think um, you mentioned that it is almost like a, a Darwinian sort of approach. If stores don't improve the way that they present themselves and the way they handle the, the shopping process, those are the stores that are in trouble. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would say there's sort of two levels to it. I mean, and most of this has happened already, but there was a first wave of digital disruption that was mostly around products that literally could be physically or could be distributed digitally. So books, music, entertainment. I mean, that, that was a very fundamental change, largely driven by Amazon. 
And that absolutely hammered the borders and Barnes and Nobles and blockbusters of the world. So that first wave had a lot to do with, with distribution. And if you didn't fundamentally change your business model, you were going to lose massive amounts of share. So when you look today at the e-commerce share of those sort of products, it's incredibly high. And when you look at what's happened to physical stores because of it, it's been devastating. Uh, but most other parts of of retail um, haven't seen that level of disruption. Um, it's really down to the particular retailer and how they responded. So, for example, Neiman Marcus, where I used to work, uh, has definitely been affected quite a lot by e-commerce. But, and I personally can't take any credit for this, they were early investors in growing uh, e-commerce and the digital aspects of the business. And so while e-commerce has grown a lot, Neiman Marcus has actually captured a lot of it for themselves. So now actually e-commerce is about 35% of the total business. You can see other retailers that, that didn't respond very effectively. And when e-commerce grew, it was their competitors who gained most of the share. They didn't retain it for themselves. So it, it, some of this depends a lot on what category you're in. But, but the growth of e-commerce doesn't automatically lose, mean that you're going to suddenly be out of business because of it, because you could capture a lot of it yourself if you responded effectively. And when trying to calculate the percentage of growth in e-commerce or the percentage of decline in uh, brick and mortar retail, those numbers can be somewhat skewed by digital natives like Warby Parker or Bonobos uh, expanding into the brick and mortar uh, arena. But also, as you mentioned perfectly right there, a traditional brick and mortar store expanding and capturing a large portion of digital commerce. Yeah, well, the so so the digital the example you use the digitally natives opening their own stores. I mean, that is a very high growth category. It is teeny tiny though at this point to the to the total sector. I think if you added all of them up, um, you know, it would be significantly under one half a percent of all of all retail. Uh, but you know, if you look at retail overall, e-commerce has grown year over year in the thirteen to fifteen percent range for a number of years and um, physical retail has been growing in the two to 3% range on average for a number of years. And so that's all added up to physical retail, depending upon whose numbers you look at it, accounting for about 90% of all retail still. So again, it's kind of hard to say physical retail is going away when nine out of $10 are spent in physical retail. Um, but you know, the, the growth rates are very, very different. So for example, if you look at the uh, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, the dollar store category, off-price retail like TJ Maxx, um, that sector physically has been strongly positive for a number of years. And literally, collectively, those, those guys will be opening thousands of stores this year. On the other hand, if you look at the moderate department store sector, so Kohl's, JCPenney, Macy's, Sears, those sort of folks, that category has been in decline for many, many years, and they've closed hundreds and hundreds of stores. Um, so so it, it's just very hard to make this broad brush statement about physical retail. Um, you know, the, I always say, uh, and it's not my idea, but the future is, is not evenly distributed. And I think retail is a great example of where you see very, very different outcomes depending upon the sector and how particular competitors handle things. Is there a direct relationship between the decline of brick and mortar stores 
and the growth of online commerce or there are they tangentially connected are they directly related is there an inverse correlation between one or the other well so um i guess i'll give you a kind of a three-part answer to that um the first is the moderate department store sector has been in decline for over 20 years so the the problem in the sort of underlying problems in that sector have really nothing to do with e-commerce because they started well before. Um, now, it's it's definitely true that um, as e-commerce has grown, it's over time, it started to eat further into or has exacerbated uh, the problems. Uh, but if you actually look at where department stores have lost market share uh, over the last, I'm going to say, um, five, six, seven years, the vast majority or the largest leakage has been to off-price and value retailers, not to online retailers. But I would say, you know, it's been sort of a triple whammy. First, those those brands going way back didn't make the changes. They got sort of stuck in the middle and, and were pretty boring. And there just were lots and lots of other shopping options that emerged, whether that was off the mall or specialty stores or what have you. Then the next wave was the off-price value retailers like TJ Maxx growing like crazy. And then the third wave, which is really becoming more pronounced now, is the growth of, of online. So so it's a factor, uh, but they were they were in trouble well before Amazon and others started to gain any significant share in the categories. Now you've paid attention to retail for more than about a half a minute. And you wrote about the bifurcation of retail and, as you mentioned a little bit earlier today, the collapse of the middle. Just recently, Deloitte comes out with a study entitled, interestingly, The Great Retail Bifurcation. Did you feel a little bit of, yeah, I called it when when you read that? Uh, I, I didn't because they were actually nice enough to call me uh, as they were working on that report. <laughs> so uh, and, and so, no, I, I didn't. Uh, well, first of all, I don't think there are any original ideas. I'm not. I'm not sure that I was the first person to ever use that term with retail. Um, but they were. They were certainly nice enough to include me. But was what I think is great about that report, and I would, I would absolutely recommend it to people. Is is they put a lot more data and rigor around um, just the facts of of, of what's happened and in, in some of the different uh, performance. I think it's a really good good report, and they do they do great work. Do the wealthy buy or shop? And do the those on the other extreme to buy or shop? Is there uh, a cultural or a societal difference in those two terms with regard to economic status? Well, I think um, for sure there's an issue of just pure uh, affordability and capacity to spend. Uh, if you're at the lower end of the economic spectrum and and uh, you know just trying to survive or or, or get by, um, you know the the way you're going to spend is going to be very different, and you just don't have the money to spend as broadly and as deeply and need to be more focused. But certainly there's plenty of very affluent people that um, are very careful about how they spend and, and like to get a bargain. And so, um, so I think it's a little hard to, to, to broad brush, but I think, you know, the key really for retailers competing is to get out of that middle and really decide where you're going to focus. And I think the challenge, so, so if you're going to focus on more the, the buying end of things, which to me is more about shopping efficiency, you know, great price, uh, convenience, 
uh, eliminating the friction and, you know, all the things that, that an Amazon is, is really good at, uh, there's a lot that you need to do well, including in most cases, having a low cost position. And so one of the challenges of the retailers that get stuck in the middle is they don't have the lowest cost position and they keep cutting prices and eventually they just can't figure out how to make any money competing against the Walmarts and the Amazons and the TJXs of the world. Um, you know, the other end of the spectrum, if you're going to try to go in the other direction and be more remarkable and different and really lean into experiential shopping, well, that often involves a lot of investment as well. So it's not, it's not an easy thing. You know, it's easy for me to point out that a lot of the boring retailers stuck in the middle are in trouble. Um, it's harder to figure out exactly how to get out of the middle. But the one thing I would absolutely say is you have to pick a lane. And in most cases, if you think you're going to try to out Amazon, Amazon, or win a price war against folks with fundamentally better cost position, you know, good, good luck with that. There's plenty of people that have tried that and failed. There's one thing that's listed on the blog that I want to end up with today, and it is most likely you're going to have to choose remarkable. I'm not asking you to work for free. Let's say that a, a mid-tier company, they're going to have to make a decision. If we want to continue as a company, we have to make a change. Give me three just very basic things that would really make a difference for them. So, uh, it, you know, it's hard for me to give a broad brush example, but one, one thing I would, and I'm not sure exactly what you're going through, but one thing that I think every retailer needs to do but particularly the ones that are struggling, is really try as best they can to map out the customer journey and really understand where they are either experiencing or delivering um, pain points or places of customer friction that they can eliminate and where can they find places to really differentiate themselves. So that's going to vary by retailer. But you know, I find a lot of folks have not really and it's a cliche, but they haven't really focused on the customer. They don't really understand what the customer wants in general. But in particular, they don't understand how much of the customer's shopping journey really starts in a digital channel and how different that may be from the way they've historically sold. So that's actually my one piece of advice is really to map that out and understand that. And then it's to the two other things I would say is find the things that matter the most that are pain points and and drive that friction out of your system because uh, that typically results in uh, customer performance improvement pretty quickly. And then the other side is, is pick which, um, which things you can really differentiate yourself on. The fourth one I'll add is, I know you asked for three, is you've just got to be willing to take risks. I think if you look at most of the retailers that have gotten into trouble, most of them basically sat around and watched while the last 15 or 20 years of retail happened to them. And I think there's the world we live in. You have to be much more willing to experiment and take chances um, because it's oftentimes too hard to figure out what the customer is going to like on a sustained basis or just where the world and technology is going to move in the future. So you have to be much more agile and experimental, I think, fundamentally. And that's, you know, that's scary for people. But I think in a lot of cases, it actually turns out to be more risky not to change, um, as we're seeing about with a lot of these retailers that haven't done it, but have gotten into trouble. Now, Steve, the way that I know that you completely understand retail is I asked you for three, you gave me four. In the industry, they call that a value add. That's right. For a limited time only. 
Right. And, and no, and no extra charge. You just threw that in as my free gift. And I appreciate that. Today, I've had an opportunity to have a conversation with the president and founder of Sageberry, Steve Dennis. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. It was great talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.